morning. The title of this morning's message is The Mystery of Our God-likeness. This morning I want to talk to you about godliness or our God-likeness. What exactly is godliness and what does the scripture reveal to us about our godliness? So, I looked up godliness in the Webster's 1828 dictionary and this is what it said. I have two definitions. The first one is godliness is a religious life, a careful observance of the laws of God and performance of religious duties, proceeding from love and reverence for the divine character and commands. In other words, Christian obedience. Hold that thought. <laughs> the second one, the revelation. Godliness is revelation, and it's the system of Christianity. I think both of these definitions are mostly appropriate for our understanding of godliness, especially if we apply them to different covenants. <laughs> the first definition correctly defines godliness under the old covenant, not under the new. It is not another way of referring to quote-unquote Christian obedience. Christian obedience is not a believer trying to conform their life to the Old Testament rules and regulations. Christian obedience is a believer living in union with God and yielding themselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit reveals his will, we respond in faith and love and do what he asks us to do. So this so-called Christian obedience is actually love and faith in action. <laughs> well, a lot of times when I go to Webster's, the prevailing idea and understanding of what it was to be a Christian was very legalistic. And a lot of the church today has the same idea. If I'm quote-unquote godly, I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to pray a certain amount of time every day. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z to become more and more like God. I'm becoming godly. That is an old covenant idea. It's like the parable that Mark talked about. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Two covenants. The old covenant, they had to work all day <laughs> to get what was coming to them. <laughs> we are the uh, last ones who come first. We get it all by grace. We get it all by grace. So godliness is really about God-likeness, not an attempt for us to somehow conform ourselves into the image of God, which you can't do anyway. Under the Old Covenant, salvation was provided for the unregenerate human being. <laughs> Through a covenant based on obedience to the law and faith in God. Yes, faith was required as well. And I say faith in God because Israel believed that God accepted them and blessed them based on their obedience to the law. And when they failed and broke the law, God had also provided a sacrificial system that provided a way for them to believe their sin was removed and their standing with God was made right again. It was all about getting them to believe <laughs> that God would do this. We know from the new covenant, God said it never took away their sin. But he counted it as so because they had faith. So the only reason to obey the law back then was if you believed that God declared you to be righteous by your obedience. And of course, part of that obedience was to love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. 
So yes, love and reverence was part of the equation. Under the new covenant, it is backwards. <laughs> because even today, after all of these years of understanding grace, there is the habit of trying to conform, to make myself something I think I'm not. When the truth is, like Judy said, I already have everything. So it is not by us trying to love God harder <laughs> or more, but it's about the revelation of how much he loves me. You see, if I understand how much he loves me, my heart will automatically respond in kind. That's how he created us, to respond to him, not to demand stuff of us. You really can't demand love. <laughs> you can demand that people act a certain way, but you can't demand somebody to love. And that's what God does. He provides us. He gives us the love we need to love other people with. We couldn't even do that right. <laughs> Unfortunately, under the old covenant, the majority of people didn't want an up-close and personal relationship with God. Oddly enough, they preferred to have a mediator because they found God's presence to be too scary. And God revealed himself to Israel through demonstrations of his power in an up-close and personal way. And when he invited them to a meeting on top of a mountain, complete with sound effects, thunder and lightning, <laughs> the majority of them complained that it was all way too scary for them and they were not interested. We see this in Exodus chapter 20, 19 and 20. And they, the Israelites, said to Moses, Speak thou with us and we will hear, but let not God speak to us lest we die. <laughs> That's a little much. <laughs> but what does that show us? How did they perceive God? Did they perceive him as a loving father who wanted to give them everything, which is what he really was? No, they thought, if we get anywhere near him, he's going to kill us. <laughs> Verse 20, and Moses said unto the people, fear not. God is come to prove to you and that his fear may be before your faces that you sin not. If you don't have love as a motivator, you're going to need fear. <laughs> because that's, an unregenerated heart. It is compelled by fear to do X, Y, and Z. They are compelled to obey. Of course, God wanted them to learn. He kept trying to show them over and over again what he was really like, but they still thought he was way too scary and wanted to kill them. So he gave them what they wanted. <laughs> that says a lot. He gave them what they wanted instead of what he wanted for them. They wouldn't have what he was offering. God wanted them to know how powerful he was as God and that he was well able to keep and enforce both sides of the covenant, the blessing and the cursing. But as part of the covenant, he also wanted to give them the law as a way of keeping them out from underneath the constant power of sin and death. He couldn't get rid of the power of sin yet. But he says, look, I'll make this covenant with you. You stay inside the lines. You're under this umbrella of grace. We don't really think of it that way, but it was for them umbrella of grace where you can live constantly in my blessing and don't worry even if you make a mistake i have a sacrificial system you get yourself a lamb stay inside the blessing it really wasn't as hard as they made it look <laughs> because god was trying to make it easy for unregenerated people to know him and to live in his blessing and he says i know you can't do this 
I know you're going to fall down. It's okay. I got a remedy. The blood of a lamb. Oh, and just so you know, someday that's going to make a lot more sense. (laughs) The law actually did help them to be restrained in what was and was not sin. Now, we know the law provokes us. The law says, thou shalt not. And something inside of us says, oh, yes, I will. (laughs) That's what they had, too. (laughs) But they were intelligent people. They could understand, if I do X, Y, or Z, this is the consequence. They didn't fall out of covenant. They didn't fall out of relationship. God said, I know this is going to happen. I have a remedy. Stay inside the blessing. Make me your one and only God. This was a good covenant for unregenerate people. Doing good to get good was a good covenant for them. It's not a good covenant for us. (laughs) Under the old covenant, God could deal with Israel's sinful actions through the sacrificial system. But he couldn't yet deal with the power of sin that was within them, which was their real problem, until Jesus went to the cross. So their relationship with God was very external. They could know God outwardly, but not inwardly the way we do. The Holy Spirit did not indwell the Israelites, but he did come upon people to empower them for specific tasks. The first time we see the Holy Spirit coming upon an individual is in Exodus chapter 31. Starting with verse 1, it says this, And the Lord, Yahweh, spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. This is not being filled with the Spirit the way we are. (laughs) This is God coming on somebody, giving them a grace gift. It's the closest thing we see in the Old Testament of, and of course they do prophesying, when the Holy Spirit comes on them and enables them to do something they can't do by themselves. They had that too. God gave this particular person because he was called to make the articles of the tent of meeting and the articles of worship. He wanted them all done a very specific way. So God graced this man to be able to do that. We have that same Holy Spirit, but he stays with us. He doesn't come and go. So I think the first definition by Webster's 1828 dictionary for the word godliness is appropriate for the old covenant not the new. I have it for you again. A religious life, a careful observation of the laws of God and performance of religious duties, proceeding from love and reverence for the divine character and commands. In other words, Jewish obedience, (laughs) not Christian obedience. (laughs) It was doing something righteous in order to make yourself righteous. And that's not our covenant. That's the old. I think the second definition is more appropriate to the New Covenant understanding of godliness. And I was surprised by this definition. This definition is godliness is a revelation, the system of Christianity. I know the world doesn't necessarily understand this. It's not about rules. It's not about regulations. It's about life and love. It's about relationship. It's not about the rules. Now, Can we keep rules? Sure. (laughs) Can we make rules for ourselves? Sure. I can make a promise. God, I'm going to read my Bible one hour every day. 
Nothing wrong with that. Until I forget. <laughs> then how do I feel about it? Bad. <laughs> Is having a daily time with God a good idea? Absolutely. But he doesn't require it of us as a way to make ourselves acceptable to him. It's just our food. We really do need it. <laughs> it's a good thing. But we don't do to get in the new covenant. We give because we have received. I looked up revelation in Webster's. And this is what it says. What is a revelation? The act of disclosing or discovering to others what was before unknown to them. Appropriately, the disclosure or communication of truth to men by God himself or by his authorized agents, the prophets and apostles. And actually, I would have left that last part off <laughs> because it doesn't matter if God uses an apostle or a prophet, it is God himself speaking to you that convinces your heart to believe. It is the Holy Spirit at work in us to help us see who God really is. The second definition, that which is revealed. A revelation is something simply something I can see. <laughs> I see what was hidden, and now I can clearly see the truth. And it says, appropriately, the sacred truths which God has communicated to man for his instruction and direction. And again, I know it's true. God instructs us and gives us direction, but not so that he will love us, but because he loves us. So in order to actually understand what godliness is, we have to have a revelation from God about himself. We can't understand what godliness is apart from understanding what God is really like and what he actually wants for us, not from us. Quiet time with God. God does not demand that we have quiet time. <laughs> He's not saying you have to do this or else. He's like, come on, come play with me. <laughs> Let's spend some quality time together. It's for us, not from us. Under the old covenant, God revealed himself externally to the Israelites through the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, through water coming from a rock, through thunder and lightning on top of a mountain. But in the new covenant, God has revealed himself to us uniquely through his son the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what the author of Hebrews tells us in chapter one. I have it for you in the Passion Translation, beginning in verse one. Throughout our history, God has spoken to our ancestors by his prophets in many different ways. The revelation he gave them was only a fragment at a time, building one truth upon another. We've seen that over the last few weeks with Abraham. God revealed himself as Yahweh, the up-close-and-personal covenant-keeping God. He revealed himself as Al Shaddai, the Almighty God. He revealed himself as Elohim, the plural God who is still somehow only one and who is personally involved in creation itself. And, of course, Yahweh Yira, the God who sees to every need before we even know we have one. God revealed himself little by little in the Old Testament. But to us, the ones who came last, <laughs> but to us living in these last days, and the last days here is obviously not the end of the world last days. These last days are the end of the old covenant last days. 
But to us, living in these last days, God now speaks to us openly in the language of a son, the appointed heir of everything. For through him, God created the panorama of all things and all time. The sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature, his mirror image. He holds the universe together and expands it by the mighty power of his spoken word. He accomplished for us the complete cleansing of sins and then took his seat on the highest throne at the right hand of the majestic one. He is infinitely greater than angels. I still am annoyed that I get emails for people wanting to teach me to talk to angels. <laughs> if I need an angel, he has already assigned them to me. I don't need to be talking to angels. I can talk to God. <laughs> he is infinitely greater than angels, for he inherited a rank and a name that is far greater than theirs. For God has never said to any angel what he said to Jesus. You are my favored son. Today I have fathered you. And this, I will be the father to him, and he will be the son to me. And again, when he brought his firstborn son into the world, let all my angels bow down before him and kiss him in worship. And about his angels, he says, I make my angels swift winds and my ministers fiery flames. But about his son, he called him God, saying, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever, and you will rule your kingdom with justice and righteousness. For you have cherished righteousness and detested lawlessness. For this reason, God, your God, has anointed you and poured out the oil of bliss on you more than on any of your friends. And he called him Lord, saying, Lord, you formed the earth in the beginning, and with your own hands you crafted the cosmos. They will both one day disappear, but you will remain forever. They will all fade like a worn-out garment, and they will be changed like clothes, and you will fold them up and put them away. But you are I am. You never change years without end. So in this passage, we see Jesus is God himself. There are believers around the world who still struggle with the fact that Jesus is both human and divine. But the word makes it very clear. Jesus is the second person of the Godhead who expresses the, his Father in truth and reality. Jesus is fully human. That's why he's our intercessor. We are so, in our unregenerate state, so unlike God. <laughs> That's why the Old Covenant believers had such a hard time trying to understand who God was. They didn't have any way to relate to him. That's why Jesus came, to show us what the Father was really like, and so that through Christ, Jesus has a hold of us, and Jesus has a hold of God, and he brings the two together. That's what an intercessor is, somebody who brings two people or two things together. Jesus is fully human, and he is also completely divine, all in one. That just freaks people out. How can he be both and still one? How can he be three and still one? <laughs> he is. <laughs> he is himself agape love, and as agape love personified, Jesus laid down his life for all humanity by taking sin into his body and then crucifying it. The internal power of sin died and went into the grave. 
And when Jesus rose from the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit, he had solved the internal sin problem. And we see this in Hebrews 9:26b. But now he, Jesus, has appeared at the fulfillment of the ages to abolish sin once and for all by the sacrifice of himself. The word sin in this sentence is a noun, not a verb. The doing of sin, the verb, always came from sin, the noun, the power and presence of sin within. But when Jesus went to the cross as our sin bearer, he also went as our personal representative. He went as us. Our going to the cross would have simply been justice and it wouldn't have been redemptive. We would have still been sinners separated from the very life of God. It wouldn't have solved our true problem, which was sin. It simply would have made it permanent. <laughs> That's why God the Father sent Jesus the Son to solve our sin and death problem and to unite us to himself and his everlasting love and life simply through faith. Of course, we see this truth in Galatians 2.20. This is the Apostle Paul, probably one of the most famous verses in the New Testament. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I, <laughs> but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in this flesh, I live by or in the faith of, the faith that comes from the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I love this verse, although it sounds like the Apostle Paul can't really make up his mind about how to explain what has spiritually happened to him. But he knows that by faith, he has entered into the very death of Christ in a real and efficacious way. He knows that something about himself has died. And we know it as the old man or the old nature. Often, when I would pray with somebody to receive Jesus, after they receive Jesus, they go, wow, I feel so so light. Because <laughs> all the weight of guilt and sin and shame is lifted up. They know something happened in there. <laughs> he may not understand exactly what it is, but he recognizes by his own spirit, because the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit, that we are indeed the children and sons of God. This is the apostle. I know this sounds crazy. I died, but yet I live. <laughs> but it's not even me anymore. It's him. Paul knows that Christ himself has replaced what used to be alive within him. Christ, the anointed one. I love that he says that. He doesn't say Jesus. He says Christ, the one and only unique son of God who is smeared with the Holy Spirit. So when you get Jesus... <laughs> you get the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Those things are not separate. <laughs> I know a lot of times people will uh, try to say, come get the Holy Spirit when they're talking about receiving a prayer language or being filled. Those things are real. However, if you have Jesus, if you have the anointed one, you have his anointing, Holy Spirit. <laughs> Christ, the anointed one and his anointing are now the source of his existence. He has a new heart and a new spirit that has been joined together with Christ. He has become one with God through Jesus the Son. And actually, that kind of oneness is kind of hard to explain. <laughs> but Jesus prayed for this kind of oneness. He prayed that those who believe on him would come to have the same kind of oneness. And we see this in 
John chapter 17, beginning with verse 20. This is the Jubilee version. Starts with this. Neither, this is Jesus praying. Neither do I pray for these alone, his disciples who were there, but also for those who shall believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the clarity. I chose this particular translation because it uses the word clarity. The word there is glory. Glory means several different things. One of which is to make very apparent. Remember, revelation is something that is hidden that suddenly now we can see. We have clarity. We can see clearly who Jesus is. We have clarity of his glory, of who his real identity is. I just happened to like that. <laughs> glory is one of those words, you're like, does it mean splendor? Does it, what does it mean exactly? And what it actually means in this particular passage is what was hidden is no longer hidden. I can now clearly see who Christ is in me and in the Father. And the clarity which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfect or complete in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am. Of course we are. <laughs> that they may behold my clarity, that they would clearly see who I am, that my person be very apparent to them, which thou hast given me, for thou hast loved me from before the foundation of the world. Verse 25, O righteous Father, the world has not known thee. The Jews hath not known him. Know of him? Yes. Some even religiously devoted? Yes. But did they know him in his clarity, in his fullness, in his glory, in his person? Jesus said no. That the whole world has been getting it wrong. <laughs> that he's not big and scary and wants to kill you or punish you. That's not what he wants. That's what they thought he wants. O righteous Father, the world has not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. Jesus is saying that these humans, <laughs> they really don't get what you're really like. And that's true for the church as well. A lot of the church thinks that God is mad at them. That he's it's like Santa Claus. He knows when you're naughty, he knows when you're nice, and we're keeping track. And when you get to the end of your life, well, then we'll decide where you live. No. <laughs> No, we receive Christ now. We receive our heaven inside of us, that kingdom now. That's the greater reality. Christ came in, he brought everything and everybody with him. <laughs> the pictures that humanity has of God in their minds isn't what God is really like. For years, I was sure God was constantly disappointed in me. I thought he had his, every time I came to that throne of grace, <laughs> I had to crawl. <laughs> Don't you dare just come all by yourself. <laughs> you have to, you know, humble yourself and, and make yourself somehow 
less than the father. And then hopefully, he wouldn't be sitting there with his arms crossed, tapping his toe at you because you've been naughty again. That's how I saw God. I knew he loved me. But I thought, I can't be good enough, long enough for him to be happy with me. <laughs> so I would spend days begging God to forgive me, begging God to change me. God, you know how broken I am. Just fix me, Jesus. <laughs> I didn't know what the problem was. I didn't know I needed to change my mind. I thought there was something really wrong with who and what I was and that it was God's fault, really, because if he would just fix me, <laughs> I wouldn't have any more of those problems. The pictures we have in our minds aren't usually what God is really like. The only way for us to know what God, the invisible Father, is like is through the visible Jesus. A few years ago, my two brothers were home for a visit at the same time, which almost never has happened because they're both in the military. Both of them were in the army, of course, stationed all over the world, and they rarely came home. This was a special occasion. They both came home at the same time. <laughs> and they're sitting around the table with my dad, who was Navy for 20 years. And they're telling military stories. And I began to see the reality of these verses. My brothers, even though they hadn't been home in like forever, they talked like my dad, they gestured like my dad, they laughed like my dad. <laughs> they could have said what Jesus said. If you've seen me, you've seen my dad. That's the reality. You see, strangers who would come in off the street would not have been able to see my dad in my brothers. But because I know my dad, I can see him in my brothers. So if I know what the Father is like, I can see the Father in people who know him too. It becomes real because you are like your Jesus and your Father, even if you don't think you are. This became so, I was like, wow, I totally get it. These are your sons. And without even trying, they talk like you, they act like you, they laugh like you. You are so in them, I can see it. That's the reality of our relationship with our Father and our Jesus. That our Jesus shows even when we don't know he is. <laughs> Verse 26. And I have manifested unto them thy name. That means his character his essence, his clarity, his exact representation of his person. Jesus manifested how God talks and how God walks and how God loves and how God gives. Jesus is the representation of the Father. Our little tiny brains could never imagine what God the Father was like apart from seeing him in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus, I will manifest it still. That the love, this is why, that the love with which thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. God wanted the people he loved to know his love. He didn't want them to be afraid of him anymore. <laughs> he wanted them to know him and to receive his life. 
the revelation of the clarity, the clear picture, the obvious and the glorious character and essence of our Heavenly Father is seen only through Jesus, His Son, in its fullness. And the clarity and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ is seen in His Word and through the Holy Spirit in us. Very popular saying, you may be the only Jesus somebody ever sees. Because we are one with God. And our Jesus shows even when we don't think he might be. So our godliness, our godlikeness, our being like our Father is not created by what we do. But what we do is supposed to come out of who we are. And just like my brothers, the more we spend time with our Father and our Jesus, the more we can reveal who he really is without even trying. My brothers are born of my dad, even though they're different in very many ways. They can't help but act just like their dad. <laughs> we are born of God. We are born of God. That is hard for our little brains to understand, but we are born of him. We are made in his likeness and image, and in our spirit, we are just like dad. We are just like God. Many years ago, like most ladies in the church at the time, I wore dresses to church. <laughs> Occasionally, someone would come up and whisper in my ear, your slip is showing. Oh, okay, so you hike it up. Because <laughs> something is showing that I didn't intend for it to be visible. I really liked that idea. Something hidden that I didn't intend to be visible. So I, I took this idea, and with some of my lady friends, when I would see them doing something so very Jesus-like, I would walk up to them and say, your Jesus is showing. <laughs> your Jesus is showing. You know, I'd still do that. Uh, a while back here, Michelle gave an exhortation. You know how she does it every once in a while? And her Exhortation was just spot on all over Mark's message. And I was like, wow, <laughs> she hears God so good and she doesn't even know it. So I texted her that week and said, guess what? Your Jesus is showing. <laughs> Your Jesus is showing. It happens at church all the time. I talk to people before service. I see your Jesus. He comes out of you and you don't have any clue that he is. That's how one we are with him. That you can't tell them when it's him and it's not you because you're one with him. As believers, our Jesus is always showing, <laughs> even if we don't realize it. <laughs> now, I've said all of this to say that godliness is simply those times when your Jesus is showing. It's when you don't even realize that the Holy Spirit is living and working in you and through you. 1 Timothy 3.16 says this, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified, which means to be proven right, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. The revealed mystery of God-likeness is that God 
is manifested through the flesh of humanity, specifically in Jesus in this particular scripture, but not just in Jesus. God manifests his life in and through our earthen vessels. Uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians 4, 6, and the Passion Translation says this, For God, who said, Let brilliant light shine out of darkness, is the one who has cascaded his light, his revelation of himself, unto us. And the brilliant dawning light of the glorious, the clear and very apparent knowledge of God as we gaze into the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, we are like common clay jars that carry this glorious treasure. And what is this glorious treasure? The revelation of God as our Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ who is the anointed one and who has also brought his entire anointing with him and who is in fact our very life. Within so that the extraordinary overflow of power will be seen as God's and not ours. It happens to believers all the time. When you don't even know you're doing it, your Jesus is showing. <laughs> and it's all of him and none of us. People will recognize when your Jesus is showing. One of the things that I wanted you to come away with this morning is the realization that you are already like God in your spirit. You are godly. We're not trying to be godly. We already are. We were designed to operate on earth the same way Jesus did, in relationship with God the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. If we understand that godliness or our godlikeness isn't something we are striving to do or become, then we can focus our efforts on practicing living out of what we already are. 1 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy to refuse to get caught up in the old silly myths. Verse 7 of chapter 4, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness, being like God, is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. There are all kinds of crazy ideas about how to become more and more godly. <laughs> These include practicing things like extreme fasting, treating your body very strictly, trying to stay away from the things of the world in an effort to become what you already are. These things may have a place in trying to be healthy, but they don't make you more like God. You can fast for 40 days and you won't be any more like God than before you started. Now, if you take the 40 days and get your nose in the word, the Holy Spirit will grow you. <laughs> but you're not going to change what you are. You're still like God. You will have more wisdom. You'll have more confidence. But you're still going to be just as godly as when you started. Jesus has already made us godly. But we often need to purposely train our brains <laughs> to accept the truth that we are what Jesus is and we can choose to live according to that truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do we train our brains? Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. The only thing that's left from our old man is his stinking thinking. 
We have bad programming, bad programming about God, bad programming about ourselves. We don't have a good idea of who God is in us and what we are in him. So he says, you have to do it on purpose. You have to cast down those things that say you're no good. (laughs) You have to cast down those lies that say you'll never. X, Y, or Z. And let the Holy Spirit renew the truth of who we really are. Verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I love that. The spirit of your mind. That's where the spirit talks. Talks to us in our minds. (laughs) Satan will try to talk to you there. You just say, no, get out of here. (laughs) But we renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on the new self. It's already in you. He says, bring it out. Let other people see your Jesus. (laughs) Created after the likeness of God. There we are. We are made in the likeness of God in true righteous and holiness. We have to cast off those false identities that the world, our past, and our failures try to put on us. We have to practice seeing ourselves the way Jesus and our Father sees us. He, they see us created in their very likeness. We are the mirror image in our spirit, and we can learn to bring who we are out more and more. We are godly. We are born of God, and we are full of God. And we can choose to renew our minds to the reality of our true identity as sons of God who rule and reign through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness and the indwelling presence of Jesus. Our identity is so much bigger than we understand. One of the songs we sang today was Waymaker. And one of the ways God is helping me to put on Christ, to let my Jesus show even bigger, (laughs) is by helping me to recognize my complete union with who he is and renewing my mind with the revelation of who I really am in Christ. And singing is one of those ways that can help renew our mind. Science proves if you put words to music, you're likely to never forget those words. They've also proven that those words that are put to music will go deeper into your subconscious and become permanent rather than just words alone. That's part of how God designed us. We can renew our mind by singing the truth of who we are in Christ. That's why I had them change the song. (laughs) It is a weird thing to sing that song, including yourself. But it helps me to say, no, this is really who I am. I am not separate from Christ. He is the way maker. Yes. And through me, he is still the way maker. He is the light of the world. And in me, he is still the light of the world. We are what he is right now. That means we can do what he did right now. (laughs) Years ago, I would pray for God to have signs and miracles and wonders at church. We never had signs and miracles and wonders at church. God was still there. He still saved people. And that was a miracle. (laughs) But God would say things to me like, go lay hands on that person. Pray for them to be healed. Why not? What happens if they don't get healed? Then I look really stupid. Like it's up to me. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm carrying Jesus. And if Jesus says, lay hands on that person and they're going to be healed, Jesus is right. <laughs> it has nothing to do with my ability and everything to do with the fact that He has given me the power of attorney. I can write the checks. 
<laughs> I can release his power, his truth, his grace. But if I think it's up to me to produce healing, <laughs> I'm going to get exactly what I expect. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> That's why this song just really speaks to me. Jesus in me right now is a miracle worker. If Jesus says, lay hands on the sick and they will recover, they will. Got to get my mind off of myself, the flesh self, and back into the who am I in Christ. I have all the power of Christ. In fact, I am crammed full of God. He, it's so stuffed in there, it oozes out of my ears. <laughs> God is in you in abundance. We are not lacking any miracle working power. It's all in there. The Father is in there. Jesus says, I and the Father are one, and I want you to come be one with me so that you're one with him too. We have access to all of who God is, the creator, the redeemer. He's all those, those things in us, to us, and through us. The lyrics to that song were, Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. That's who we are. That's a scary thing to say. But he, God says, this is the reality of who I've made you to be. I want who I am to come out of you naturally. I want your Jesus to show on purpose and on accident. <laughs> I want who I am in you to be visible to the rest of the world. Because of Christ, we are what he is. He is our life. Yes, it's me, but it's not me. <laughs> Just like the apostle Paul, I died. I don't know how I live, but I died, and something's different here. Yes, that's the reality. God is all of these things that we sing about. But he has also made us all of these things that we sing about. None of us can do the works of God all by ourselves, but Jesus said, you're going to do greater works than me. But not if we're afraid. <laughs> not if we think it's up to us. <laughs> we have to realize he's in us and he's bursting to get out. <laughs> we are God's ambassadors. We are the flesh that he wants to manifest through. Not only are we to bring the good news of the gospel of grace, but we are to release the power of the kingdom and the power of his love. We are one with God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We are literally crammed full of God, but we don't usually see ourselves that way. It's easier for us to ask God to do something for us rather than to believe that God's going to do something through us. But I believe God wants to increase our revelation of who we are in him and who he is through us. I don't know about you, but I'd like for my Jesus to be showing a little bit more than he has been. <laughs> Nothing is impossible for those who believe. He calls us to believe that we are what he says we are. We are the earthen vessel. Yep, but that's not all we are. We are ready for him to manifest himself and his goodness and grace through us. Amen. Father God, I thank you for the revelation, the clarity the clear picture of who you are and who our Father is. Our Father is just like you and you are just like our Father. You are love. You are love personified. 
And you have invited us into that same relationship, that we should know the Father the same way you know the Father, that we should know you the same way the Holy Spirit knows you, that we would know God in his fullness in every area of our life. Father God, I ask that you renew our minds to the truth, that we sing those songs. We are the way makers for somebody else. We are the light in the darkness for somebody else. We are the miracle worker that somebody else is waiting for. We are all of those things because you are all of those things through us. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. Help us, Father God, to see ourselves in the Superman cape, whose name is Jesus, that we put you on on the outside because you're real, you're powerful, and you're waiting on us to take you into the whole world. And Father, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.